0: all right it is the week of february 21st 2022 and this is the fight business podcast i'm rose patrick ogier and today we're going to be talking about bkfc's major news with triller versus acquiring a majority stake in bkfc it's a big deal we'll break down what it means for both companies as well as what it means for their competition both direct and indirect and i'll also go into a bit about substitutes especially as this concerns mma because bkfc and triller are a substitute product. To MMA, so I'm going to explain what those are, break it down from a business term, and we'll talk a, a little bit about, you know, what that means. Also, going to talk about should Triller even be acquiring BKFC? We'll look at a couple of target acquisition key indicators that you generally use in MMA, <clears throat> or sorry, M and A, and whether or not this really makes sense for both of them or not. And that's going to be all for this episode. If you can't tell, my voice is a little bit lower. I am still sick with whatever's going on. I'm going to power through. We're going to make it a shorter episode. Timestamps below, as always. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So the big topic for today's show, BKFC selling its majority stake to Triller Versus. This was first reported by my man, Blaine Henry. So shout out to him. If you don't follow him over at the Fight Library um, or on Twitter, you, you totally should. Great dude. This was a big story for him to break. So shout out to him. Uh, Dave Feldman then went on the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani, where he spoke more about this, uh, looking at a MMA fighting article here with some quotes from Feldman from the MMA Hour. And I quote, we grew this thing to a point where we thought that we got at it as far as we could take it by ourselves right now. We've overcome so many obstacles and so many people telling us no, and this will never happen. You'll never make it work. And we got to a point where we are pretty well accepted among the combat's com- sports community right now, and we needed to make a partnership that was going to take us to the next level, create more opportunities, more resources, more funding, that's key, more things like that to acquire some more fighters to take care of the fighters that are already there and just create more opportunities for everybody. Uh, He goes on to say, again, Triller will acquire a majority stake in BKFC, like I said, to allow more opportunities, more resources, more funding, Again, key, just everything that we really need to vie for that number one, number two spot in combat sports. So that's pretty revealing there. We'll break this down in a second, but it kind of gives an idea of the strategic vision of Triller and what they're really trying to do here. Uh, Last quote I want to touch on from this is, bare-knuckle fighting championship will remain as is, Feldman said. We will be self-sustained as far as operations continue, the fighters, everything. Nothing is really going to change in the operations of BKFC. We're now just going to have more assets, more resources, more possibilities. So let's unpack first what Feldman has said, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the acquisition. So biggest things that he touched on and talked about a lot were more resources, more funding, right? Meaning that BKFC is going to have a lot more purchasing power and that they're trying to Vive for the number one, number two combat sports slot. So that to me says that essentially A, BKFC was stagnating, possibly running out of money. And we'll talk more about target acquisitions and why that was probably attractive to Triller at this point. And B... If they really wanted to take it to the next level, they they truly believed that they couldn't do that on their own. There wasn't enough customer acquisition. There wasn't enough of a market to make BKFC a giant full-fledged league, at least based on what Feldman is saying here. My guess is they ran the numbers. They looked at you know events, tickets being sold, different sponsorship agreements, and it kind of plateaued a little bit. Keep in mind... Triller is obviously the more performative. It's it's like an event uh, with their concerts, their, um, their mix of MMA and boxing, everything that they do. Triller is much more like going to a concert, a, a type of spectacle, a show. I don't want to say circus, but kind of like a circus, right? BKFC was trying to be more like a league in its own sport, like boxing, like MMA. They were trying to have rankings titles all that stuff triller is much more exhibition more showmanship more entertainment right on that side of things so it makes sense that in a lot of ways the triller would look to acquire something a little bit more standardized something that appears to be more like a league um and, and we'll get into why in a minute here, but based on Feldman and everything that he said, it's, it's pretty obvious that this was kind of a, hey, this paycheck's probably going to be better than what Triller, or I'm sorry, than what BKFC can do on its own, right? Um, that happens a lot. Emerges and acquisitions. Um, you've got a company that has a niche, is the best at their niche, but the niche has a limited market. And the problem, if you're in that particular situation while you're still in the ramp up and growth phase, is there aren't a lot of levers you can pull and you don't have enough funding and revenue, which again, Feldman mentioned funding multiple times, to go out and acquire certain other companies to help you get new products and develop new products or services that can continue your growth. Make no mistake, Triller is buying BKFC under the expectation that BKFC will help them continue to grow. That's what companies do when you're in that hyper-growth phase and when you're at a point where you believe you have the funding and you have a good target. You're looking at finding something that can push your growth and your profitability and all of that higher. Now, BKFC could have again continued on its own, could have tried to develop new gimmicks, new things to try and win people over, try to expand the market, see if there were any ways they could get new customers acquired that may like MMA or or boxing and get them into bare knuckle fighting. But it probably was in their own internal meetings and discussions. Not, not necessarily not feasible, but probably would have been an uphill battle that may not have been worth it for people higher up in the company. That's another thing. If you're a founder and you start a com- company, you put a ton of work into it, you get a growth, you, you get going and you hit obstacles after obstacle after obstacle. And you run the numbers and they don't look great. And somebody comes along and says, hey, we'll buy our company for this many cents on the dollar or usually at a premium, right? Uh, it's hard not to look at that and say, okay, you know what? I- I'm going to go ahead and sell. I worked for one particular company that I won't name uh, years back where they were booming for a long time. Um, they've been around about 10 years or so, or I think around 10, better Close to 10, if not 10. Um, and they had crazy revenue growth. They had some unique product ideas, kept going and going, and then they hit a wall. And when they hit that wall, they did their best to get over it. They had a lot of runway and things that they could, you know, utilize in terms of savings in the bank while they were trying to figure out how to compete. But eventually that wall became insurmountable for them but part of the reason it did was because the founder and the you know inner circle with that founder i would assume most of the c-suite made the decision and the board made a decision to sell part of their business to a very large well-known company and get paid a premium for it that's how it goes now could the founder have continued on and figured out yeah there's a good chance but would have been a lot of work and there's no guarantee it works out you can offer i mean it's it's hard it's hard to turn down right it's a tough decision i do not envy any founder who is experiencing that growth and that revenue and then hits some stumbling blocks and has to make the call when somebody comes knocking and says hey i'll just get rid of all your problems and pay you a ton of money for it and we're talking about money where I don't know exactly what the founder of this particular company I was working with made, but my guess is enough. He could easily retire. He could easily just take that money and say, cool, check it and just retire never have to work again. It's tough. And that's not who that guy is. Uh, the founder, I'm sure he'll go on to start something else. He's, he's that type, which is great. Um, but again, it's a, it, it, it's a lot to think about. And so, Feldman's comments, again, he's getting to ideally stay on. We'll see whether or not that actually happens. But according to him, everything is is as is. Everything stays the same. Self-sustained as far as operations continue, the fighters and everything. So it's a little bit like Dana White, right? When Endeavor bought the UFC. Dana stays on as the president. He will continue working for them. He just has new bosses. And it's very similar in the fact where Dana said, yeah, we're going to stay the same, all of that. And that obviously didn't happen. There was a lot of cost cutting measures. There were a lot of things that happened at the UFC because Endeavor wanted to make sure that they were maximizing their profit. The same will happen here. I have yet to see, and I have lived through multiple mergers and acquisitions on both sides where I've been working for the company that's been acquiring a company, or I've been working for a company that's been acquired, I have yet to ever see one time where things actually stayed the same. It just can't. And it can't because your corporate strategy has to change to whatever the acquiring company's strategy is. And if you were the exact same company, well, you wouldn't have been bought in the first place. Right, You would have been a direct competitor probably. It always changes, always. So yes, it will probably be gradual. There will probably be minor shifts. The product will appear the same to the consumer. That's important. But behind the scenes, things are going to be changing. Whenever you have an acquisition like this, you always want to keep the product initially, product or service, initially the same to the consumer. Right, if my favorite pizza place gets bought out and I've been going there for years, I don't wanna go in the next day after it's been bought out and all of a sudden the ingredients are all different, everything looks different, it's all like, well, I come here because I love it, right? That's the thought. Now, in a year or two, well, well, we've decided to make some changes. We're gonna optimize this, we're gonna do this, sure. And again, it could be six months, a year, depends on the acquiring company, but things always change and things will change outwardly to the consumer. If you don't believe me, you can go back and look at the UFC in 2014 and look at the way they ran things, cards, all that stuff, and then go to 2020 or 2019. It, it changes, right? I mean, it's, it's just how it goes. Look at, the, look at the international fight week of 2015 and the international fight week of 2016. It broke my heart. The, the way the international fight week of the UFC used to be compared to what it is now is night and day. And I guarantee you that wasn't just a UFC flipping the switch. I, might, I would assume that that's probably endeavor like, hey, we need to cut costs. We need to do this instead. And, and that's just how it goes right? Um, But I'm sure Feldman thinks that he'll mostly stay the same. Yes, there'll be a couple of new changes, whatever. I also see this a lot. I see often when a company that's getting acquired makes a deal, they really think that things are going to stay the same, whether that's been told verbally, whether that's been, you know, written down in some form or fashion, which there's always a way around that if it's actually written down, but a lot of leaders in these situations really think that their company is going to stay the exact same. There is a leader that I am working with on on a minimal contract basis at this point um, right now, who his company a while back was, was, acquired not that far back but far enough and he really thought i remember talking to him when it happened he really thought that it was going to stay the same he truly believed that and things look night and day compared to when it started not completely night and day but especially certain processes and certain things that are done on the back end of the company are completely different that's how it goes it will never actually remain the same so it, it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. Um, it does, again, change the way we're probably going to look at Triller moving forward. And that's because we know Triller has shelled out a lot of money, right? A lot of money to have big names fight. I mean, you had Mike Tyson. Roy Jones Jr. So we we'll put him on the map. Um you've had Jake Paul who helped make his rise into boxing. Triller has shelled out big money for these people. Um we know from disclosures and and, and things I've heard on the inside we're, again I've talked about it before on other episodes they're paying these guys a ton of money. But it makes sense because those are mostly one-offs there isn't a belt there isn't, you know, some kind of structure there. It would make sense that they would want to acquire a league where you get a fighter under contract to be there longer term. Right? Feldman for example, MMA hour mentioned Francis Ngannou. Think about that. If it's Triller going after Ngannou, okay, maybe it's a one-off or two-off fights, but you know, he's going to fight a couple of guys and then what? He He's done there. There's no one necessarily for him to fight. You have to go out and find his next opponent and contract him, make it all that you get a league like BKFC that changes. Then you have a list of rankings. You have a list of contenders. You have a champion that you make Francis and you promote him. Then you go on, have him fight in that league. That's a big, big difference from a service standpoint, from a product standpoint. Because one product shelf life is all dependent on figuring out how to get the contracts done per opponent. The other is signing them for X amount of fights and having the opponents lined up and marketing your champion. So it makes a lot of sense that they're doing this. Feldman mentioned funding nonstop and more opportunities, more resources. Yeah, they're going to throw big money at some of these guys to leave MMA, leave boxing, and come fight in BKFC. There's no doubt. And have them fight for multiple fights. That's kind of the end goal here. They want to be number one, number two in combat sports. Triller's vision, I would imagine, is acquire a league, use their events and their spectacles to, again, build a, a interested customer base, and then push them to the actual league side with BKFC, have them become a fan of BKFC, the sport, get bigger names under contract there. And there you go. Repeat customer, hardcore fans, growth. That's where the growth comes in. That would be my guess. Use the Metallica concert to bring people in because, hey, Metallica's playing. Oh, you know, Justin Bieber's doing a concert. And I I want to see it. Cool. There's some boxing going on too. Oh, look, there's some BKFC guys. And wow, this guy looks cool. And then he's going to fight over here. Awesome. Right? It's it's a show, but you get people to be fans of the show and people on the show. And then you say, hey, if you want to keep watching X person, X person, go to BKFC and watch the events there because he's the champ. That's the conversion or that's the idea. I would imagine whether or not that will work. eh, I don't know. But it it makes sense that that's kind of where they're going here. So, again, that's really what's happening with with Triller buying BKFC. That is the the guts of what that is. So, I, I think, and we'll talk about this more, I think it makes sense in a lot of ways, but let's break down why... Or why not, they should be going after, um, Triller should be going after BKFC. And if it is a good target acquisition, using some key indicators um, and, and really kind of dive into that. Okay, so obviously when a company is looking to acquire another company, they have to evaluate whether or not it's a good fit and whether or not it's the best option, right? There may be multiple companies out there. All right, there's more than one bare-knuckle fighting promotion. Why did Triller pick BKFC? And even if there is only one option, which BKFC is the most prominent bare-knuckle promotion, is it a good fit? Does it make sense? So how does a company do that? Well, a lot of different factors at play. And usually there are two types of acquisitions. One, friendly, which is most acquisitions, I would say. Two, hostile, that's more of a hostile takeover and is more about buying company stock or taking board seats. We're not going to go into that here. It's more for publicly traded companies. It's a whole different thing, but in this particular situation, it's friendly and it was probably done in evaluating at least some, if not all of the features I'm going to talk about. Um, this particular criteria I like it was done in conjunction with a study uh, at City, uh, Cass Business School, City University in London, um, with a company called Intralinks. It's easy if you want to look up um, what makes a good acquisition target on Google. It's the first thing that pops up. There are a couple out there. I like these based on what I've seen. Um, and I'm going to talk about one or two that it missed here, but I, I like these criteria. So again, I'm a bigger company. I'm looking to Acquire another company, whether it's for their, whatever my reasons are, um, whether it's for, I think, it believes it's going to help my growth. I need their capabilities, aka their fighter roster, their assets, what have you. I'm evaluating that. Here are the things you're looking at. Growth, one. Um, Usually, target companies have higher growth than non-targets. So in this particular study found... Between 1992 and 2014, the growth of target companies is 2.4 percentage points higher than that of non-targets. Yeah, you want to see growth to some extent. Now, Feldman's comments maybe made it sound like there wasn't as much growth as he would have liked, but there definitely has been growth for BKFC. It's there. How sluggish it is, we don't know. We can't see the financial statements, but growth is a huge factor. If a company is dying, right? Um it, it's you don't necessarily rule it out, but it, it's hard to acquire a company like that and still utilize them in the way that they are in those situations. And what I mean by that is if I'm going to acquire a company that is currently losing revenue is is losing customer base, right? I might still do that, but it's almost always for a piece of proprietary technology or particular assets. Um, in some ways, you could think about UFC's takeover of, of pride, right? With the, um, you know, their their debt was running high. They, they had the whole Yakuza thing causing issues. Um, but obviously, the UFC wants to acquire that roster of fighters. They want to sweep them up and use that roster of fighters. So they buy them out, they take the the fighters, and then they kind of close down shop. That's one reason you would acquire a company that doesn't have good growth. But growth is a main evaluating factor in any of these scenarios. Uh, Profitability goes on top of that. We're talking about profitability. We're talking about their EBITDA versus um, their sales. So again, here's your overall sales revenue. Here's what you're actually bringing home. If you got a good profitability ratio which you, there are a million different profitability ratios you could look at um if you got a good ratio there then great if you're making money after all your costs then of course want to evaluate that you you're always going to look at this whether or not they're profitable or not that again we'll get to the other criteria here and explain why you may still go after a target that isn't necessarily profitable but it's important to, to evaluate profitability. Um, leverage. This is a big one. So this is really focusing on, on how much debt a company has. The more leveraged private companies are, the more likely they are to be bought. Right? Um, that's what the study found. So, again, you've got more debt It's more and liquidity, it's... Much more likely that you're going to be bought because there's certain assets that are tied up, there are things there. Think of it this way, right? If, If you've acquired a bunch of debt, if you are using that debt to purchase variable things that It generally means you're using that debt, not because you owe a bunch of money and you can't pay your bills and you're kind of stuck. It can mean that. But the more debt you have means the better your credit is with borrowing institutions, with investors, with other people, right? If Think about it like if you've got a credit card right now, you probably have a borrowing limit where depending on your factors, yada, 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 um, you have a borrowing limit, et cetera if you are able to acquire more debt, pay, up, pay off the payments you need to on time, they usually raise your credit limit. And say, yes, you could have more and more. And it means that you've probably used that debt to acquire valuable assets that I, as an acquiring company, don't have to go out and and find a bank or a lender who's going to give me the money for a big loan. It doesn't go against necessarily my... It can, though. I don't want to say that for sure because it depends on the deal. But it it is not shocking that a new startup is going to be highly debt leveraged and their capabilities still make sense to do, is really what I'm trying to say here in the long run. And I'm sorry again. I'm sick, obviously. Voice is messed up. So if I'm rambling a little bit, just just fast forward. But you're going to see private companies, who have a bunch of investors, have a bunch of bonds or, or funding where or they owe certain investors or bank loans and credit and all of that, they're going to have higher debt. But it also proves that they were able to convince people multiple times that yes, what we're doing makes sense. Yes, give us more money. Yes, give us another chunk of big money. The more debt you've acquired, again, shows that enough institutions believed in you they were allowing you to borrow that much money that is generally a good thing because that means that you've got relationships or you've got known agencies you can go to to borrow more money again, which debt leveraging is is all the rage. So I'm sure the acquiring company probably would love to leverage their debt even more. It's it's just all the rage. <laughs> um, that's how it works. And we, if you want to know about debt leverage ratios and all of that, um, look it up. There's a, there's a great video. I believe, I believe investopedia has a great video on it. That just gives you five minute video that really explains why debt leveraging is so, so popular right now. But again, debt is not necessarily a bad thing, especially in the startup and private company world. Definitely an MMA, not necessarily a bad thing. Can be, but not always. All right. Next factor here, size, right? Um, Private companies are generally larger than non-targets, according to the study. Yes, but size matters in this scenario. Yes, cue the jokes. Um, you don't want to, especially in Triller's term, right? You you don't want to acquire a company that has more capabilities than you actually need. So, if I'm acquiring, I'm trying to think of a good example. Let's say again. I'm the UFC and I'm trying to uh, buy my own broadcast partner, right? I'm trying to buy an ESPN so that we're all under one umbrella. I'm not going to go out and try to buy a huge guy or someone that's well known with a bunch of different diverse media technologies, like say, you know, Fox or ESPN even, right? Um, I'm going to really, no, Fox or ABC is a better example I'd I'd be more likely to buy an ESPN because ESPN focuses just on sports news. That's kind of their thing. Okay, you could kind of roll that all into one. You've got a customer base that, again, MMA is a sport, so you've got these other sports. It's it's all wound together. They're adjacent markets. Makes sense. But I'm not going to go buy Fox News that has a business channel that has a uh, daytime talk show channel that has like a million different things. That's, that's wasteful. That is a knock against you. In this case, it's much smaller, right? Triller sees BKFC. They know exactly what they're doing. Sure. They're going to go ahead and buy them. If BKFC was doing a ton of other things, if they were a one championship, right? Where they're trying to do esports, they're trying to do movies or create this one universe and, and all this other stuff, that would be less attractive for Triller. I'm sure Triller doesn't want to get into eSports and all these other things that one championship is doing. They really are just looking for one set of capabilities. So they would probably try to acquire part of the company rather than the whole thing. Um, But that could be hard with a startup, right? It gets messy. So size, you've got to make sure the size is right. A lot of times bigger is better, but sometimes smaller is better Better than bigger. There you go. Um, make jokes all day long with that. Liquidity, we already kind of talked about. Um, generally, more successful targets aren't liquid. Um, and then valuation, that's huge. So public target companies have lower valuation multiples than non-public target companies in this study. Um, Yes, public companies are easy to to kind of see where your valuation is and kind of it changed their valuation because they're publicly traded, right? So the stock price kind of gives you an indication of what that valuation is. Non-public companies can go wild. As I talked about just an episode or two ago, when you look at SoftBank, if you look at what all of that was, man, WeWork had an insane valuation that was outrageous a lot of these unicorns that are still out there that are private companies have insane valuations that are outrageous, right? They just are, they really, really are. So valuation though is still a good measure. While some can be over the top, it's important because what a valuation is in a private company setting is basically saying, hey, here's what we think others will see the value of this as. Here's what you can talk about and get away with, with your board and talk about with other companies and sell your product and say, Hey, you know, we've got this company that we just bought that's worth $30 million and it's amazing. And you take that number and you shop it around and you, you tout it and you say, Hey, this is what we're worth. If you're the company that's being acquired, you're trying to, say, hey, we're worth $30 million, according to these guys, you need to pay us $30 million if you want this company, or something close to it. If you are the acquirer, you are saying, hey, here's what your valuation is, we'll pay you for it. And we're buying this. And then you're showing it to all of your partners and investors and all of that and saying, look, we just picked up this huge company, they're worth this much, we got them for a great deal, we're going to take their capabilities, it's going to streamline and everything and you sell it. That's what valuation really does in the private space in my opinion um it's important for a lot of reasons but valuation you you need to look at because if you think a company is just got amazing assets or amazing people or services or what have you and then the valuation comes back very low a you either get a bargain and you say look here's the valuation i'm only paying you this much for the company or b you say okay well Maybe I was wrong about this. And you take another look and you maybe take a step back. If it's way off of what your expectation of evaluation is, it's kind of an outside objective opinion that says, this is what we think this is worth. Important, important to know. So those are the six criteria that are listed in this particular study. But on top of that, there was a Bain study that was done in 2020 that looked at the most successful mergers and acquisitions. And a huge part of it was making sure that you're going outside of your normal business boundaries and that you're acquiring a company that helps your corporate strategy growth and that you have a good relationship with, two extra factors. So corporate strategy growth is, when you look at the company, you've already got a corporate strategy in place for your three-year, five-year plan. Does acquiring this significantly help boost that strategy? That's a huge factor you need to consider. Um, In my opinion, I think that makes a lot of sense. I've seen some mergers and acquisitions where I've kind of scratched my head saying, why are you guys buying this company? Um, I've seen some others where it's like, okay, I kind of get it, but is it really going to help given where you want to go? It helps you where you are right now, but not where you want to go. It's important that that strategy aligns because otherwise you're going to end up buying an expensive company that doesn't quite work out. You'll spin it off. Um, Look up AOL. AOL right? The guy that sold AOL for so much money and then bought it back for far cheaper. Perfect example of this. Um, and then relationships with companies being the other big factor. Generally, the most successful acquisitions are ones where you had an existing partnership and that partnership grew to eventually become an acquisition, right? It makes a lot of sense. You're able to, through a partnership, you're able to get a true sense of the company you're targeting. You have an idea in terms of what you really want to do with their assets as you get to know them more. And you you don't get the sales pitch, right? So if Triller is going in and acquiring BKFC, but they've had a partnership for a while, they're going to know how... Dave Feldman runs things. They're going to know how their fighters feel. They're going to see the product, probably see some behind the scenes stuff because they're partners. They might get some financial numbers that are valuable without having, you know, the sales pitch of opening up the books and saying, look at how beautiful our numbers are, right? You get to see some raw numbers. Those things are important. They're very important because make no mistake, any type of merger and acquisition is a sale, right? You're both trying to get on the same page, trying to make it work, but both sides are trying to make themselves look as attractive as possible to the other. It's like going on a first date. It's going to be a lot different than going on your 100th date with your girlfriend or wife. You're you're going to put some more effort into making sure that, you know, you put your best, best self out there that you, you know, are are saying the right things, kind of being cautious presenting yourself in the best light. Now, I'm not saying that people don't do that all the time in hundreds of states, but uh, you know what I'm saying. Marriage it, and and long-term relationships, you get into a groove, people kind of let their guard down about certain quirks or things that they have about themselves. Same type of deal here. So, in this particular case, Triller and BKFC didn't really have much of a relationship, right? Doesn't necessarily mean the acquisition will fail. It just means that they're losing, in my opinion, a, a factor that would have helped them. So evaluating all those criteria doesn't make sense for Triller to make this acquisition, right? So let's see with, with what we know. Growth, based on Feldman's comments and what we've seen, we know there is some growth, but it's kind of slow. Profitability, we, we can't know without looking into their books. Um, leverage, almost certainly they have high leverage because that's how all startup promotions work, especially one on the scale as BKFC size. I think it's a good size fit where again, they are smaller, but they're not too small. They, they have enough of a roster. They have enough names that it will add to Triller without becoming overwhelming or overpowering, right? They don't have 200, 300 guys where, you know, that's going to overshadow anything Triller's done. And it's really going to be more so, BKFC is around with, you know, Triller kind of being in the background, right? Still gives Triller the forefront if they want it. They can kind of decide what they want to do with, with the size. So I like that. Um, liquidity, we won't know again, but almost certainly they're pretty illiquid. Valuation, we won't know. Um, I would imagine, you know, BK probably BKFC probably has a solid valuation, but fortunately we can't see the books, so we we don't know any of that. Uh, relationship, I already mentioned, they don't really have a strong one going into this. So that's a little bit of a knock against them. And then, uh, you know, does it help their corporate strategy? So if, as I said before, Triller's corporate strategy is to become that number one or number two combat sports promotion, yes. I I believe it does because if that truly is Triller's goal, they need a league. As I mentioned with the Francis Ganu situation, they need something where it's a set product. It gives the marketability of of some of the people that they're signed or that they've signed, right? It, It gives them a champion. Right now, they, they don't have champions. They have one-off fights that are entertaining and fun, but they're not, you know, don't have belts, don't have that kind of structure that they need to kind of get recurring revenue and build a loyal customer fan base that's going to keep coming back because they want to see Chad Mendez fight. They want to see uh, Paige Van Zandt fight. They want to see uh, Francis Ngannou if they were somehow able to acquire him. And with their resources and the money they're able to throw at some of their exhibition contests, you'd imagine they probably can get some bigger names into the BKFC ring. And that's that's huge. So I think it makes sense from a corporate strategy standpoint. So overall, I would say not a perfect fit, but I think it is a good fit and it makes a lot of sense. Um, also takes away one of their indirect competitors. Right. And we'll get to that in a minute about substitutions. But um, it takes away something that may have been hurting their bottom line. Because if you're choosing between a BKFC type of event that you're going to pay for and a thriller event, you probably have a shared customer base and there's disposable income. So it makes makes sense for my book that this happens depending on how much they paid. That's always the key thing here. And that's something that, you can't really know how good the deal is until you know how much they actually paid to acquire BKFC. And they're also going to open up BKFC's books and maybe they were given the sales pitch and it turns out, well, oh, we got a bunch of monster debt hiding here. We've got all this stuff. It can get real gross sometimes. <laughs> the acquiring company could be very upset, but don't, not saying that's happening here, but it's all about the price, right? It, it's always about the price. Is, is it a good price point? If I paid $10 for all this, yeah, totally makes sense. If I paid $10 million, well, maybe not. So on its surface, I think it makes enough sense. Depending on the price, was it a good deal? We may never know. See if any reports come out and we get actual numbers there. All right, so very quickly here, because I'm losing my voice, we're going to talk about substitutes. So what is the difference between a substitute product and a direct competitor, right? So... Substitute product or service is one that serves the same purpose as another product in the market, but isn't in direct competition. So, for example, coffee could be a substitute for tea. Uh, Uber could be a substitute for the bus, technically, if you have to pay for the bus, right, and it's a private company, Um, or for a scooter, transportation, that's a really good one. If you've got all those different scooters, right, if you live in a big city, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you probably heard of those little scooters, like the birds or the whatever scooters, where you've got a little scooter you can drive around, right? Let's say you got to go someplace 20 minutes away. You get there 20 minutes on a scooter, you can get there in seven or eight in a Lyft or Uber. They're, Lyft and Uber are not competing against the scooter companies necessarily. Lyft tried, I think, at one point to have their own scooter, but but they're not really the same product, there's a bunch of different scooter companies that are are facing each other. And then there's Uber and Lyft and I think a couple other ride sharing services still exist. I'm not hundred percent sure, depending on where you are, but, but they're not direct competitors. But again, if I have disposable income and I need to get someplace, I may choose one over the other. And really the way that substitutes impact other products and and services are, it, it affects based on your price point, Right. It affects your your customer acquisition and it affects more the supply side. So I don't want to go too into to economics but if I'm you know choosing between an Uber and a scooter, and I decide, well, scooter's gonna take me 20 minutes to get there, Uber is five and I really want to get there fast, and the price difference is maybe $15, I can accept that $15 difference. Say, you know what? I really need to get there. I'll pay that $15 premium. I'll take the Uber. But let's say Uber raises their prices, and so now it's $25 more than the scooter. I might now say, well, that's too much. I'm going to go ahead and take the scooter instead. If I'm Uber, that negatively affected me because there isn't a separate option out there that somebody can take. This is important in combat sports for a couple of reasons. One, disposable income. Right? Combat sports fans, as you've seen many other places, are paying a lot of money to watch the pay-per-views. They're one of the few industries that still does pay-per-views. It, it, there's only so much disposable income people have. As, say, the UFC raises their price point to $75, they may say, man, I'm not paying for that. I will instead buy a trailer event. And I know... To a lot of you, that sentence seems absurd, but think about it. We're not talking about hardcores, right? Hardcore fans are gonna find ways to watch what they want. We're talking about a casual or semi-casual fan that maybe wants to see the spectacle. So imagine I don't follow MMA at all, right? I have friends that do, or I see things, advertisements on the event. I have VSPN plus, and I, I don't really watch MMA, but. I have it. I can if I want, but whatever. I see advertisements all the time. So I've got the big fight between Nganu versus Gone, and I've got that's got a lot of hype around it. And I've got, uh, I don't know, over here, a thriller event that's got a bunch of live performances by a ton of musical guests. Um, and then you got Jake Paul in the main event. And I'm a casual fan. This is just a hypothetical. I don't know where to find streaming services or that's not my thing so I'm not piracy's out of out of the question here. I'm choosing between buying one or the other. I might say, well, I don't really know much about either. I've seen some packages, promo packages for each and say, okay, maybe this one looks a little bit cooler or whatever. Maybe I think the Gun one is a little bit cooler, but it's 75 bucks. The trailer one over here is only 49.99. That's $25. Well, you know what? You know, I want to spend one big event. I'm going to go with Triller. Perfect example of how a substitute product can affect a business. By getting BKFC and having a majority stake, solid chance Triller will put on BKFC pay-per-views, especially if they acquire big names. Right now, again, economy's looking semi-rosy. I mean, less so the past week or so with all the international conflict that's going on. But, or threat of it, rather. But ultimately, there will be a time, as I've said before, where this will retract. The economy always retracts at some point. There will be a recession. There will be limited income. Employment will go up. All of this. When it will happen, I do not know. But at some point, that will happen. And when it does, then... A th- Casual fan has even less disposable income, so maybe before where they're saying, you know what, things are good, got a great job, everything's going well, just bought a crazy house in Austin, Ugh. Um, I'm going to go ahead and buy both, cool. Things are a little bit rougher, things are a little bit harder now, oh, okay, I don't have as good a job, I lost it, got laid off like a bunch of other people, um, you know, I've got to pay my mortgage, got to take care of my bills, my necessities first, I'm... disposable income is down. Now I'm going with the lowest price option. Even though I'd rather watch Nganu Gan, even if I would, I, I have to go with the lower price option. Right? That affects things. A very good substitute and or a product to service with a lot of substitutes is hard to price. In combat sports, there aren't a ton of substitutes. You've got boxing, you've got BKFC, Triller, you've got MMA, um, you've got uh, karate combat, right? You've got you you've you've got options, but you you aren't flooded with them. But if a particular substitute becomes very strong, very good, very popular, then that can really affect you. Let's say Triller buys BKFC, they end up signing. Mike Tyson to fight Francis Ngannou in a crazy trilogy. It's a whole big thing. They get a bunch of big names. All of a sudden, people just flock to it. They love it. Builds. Everybody's talking about BKFC, UFC, who are them. That hurts your brand. You've got to spend more money on marketing. You've got to kind of retain your customer base. You've got to draw in those casual fans that have disposable income. It's tough. It raises your costs. It it makes your price point get pushed lower because you want to compete. It's a problem right so that's really what a substitute is versus direct competition it's important to note that because if bkfc and trailer are successful that could become a really big problem for boxing promotions and mma promotions ufc is pretty insulated but still you never know with this stuff so that's what that all is all right guys um i'm not going to go into the zone one in depth again i barely have a voice at this point i appreciate you guys listening um i will talk about the zone next time it's bad. That's all you need to know. Uh, we'll we'll hit it on next event. But I really appreciate you guys listening. Wanted to make sure that I get one out because I know I've been absent on a couple and I felt good enough to do this. Expect one next week. Otherwise, I'll let you know farther ahead of time. It's not going to happen depending on how I do. I am okay. It's just whatever this is. I don't know if it's COVID or what have you. It's just blah. Um, but thank you so much for listening, watching. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like, share, subscribe. If you are listening through Anchor, Apple, um, Spotify, what have you. Really appreciate it, guys. Make sure to hit me more questions so that we can do more Twitter mailbag stuff. And until next time, get money.